God reminded me of a couple of verses. And so I think today's sermon is probably going to be quite challenging. But nevertheless, I want you to remember those verses. Whenever you feel challenged that actually our God is a God who does not break bruised reeds and does not snuff out smoldering wicks. Adam saw this picture of a... There's like a, a, a smoldering wick, and there was someone cupping their hands around it, just desperately trying to keep the flame from going out. And I, I kind of felt God say to me, that's sometimes what we're like with our faith. We, we feel like we've got this smoldering wick, and we're just huddling around it just to keep it alive. But in fact, God actually has something better than that, and that's what I'm going to be preaching out preaching to you about today is that God has something better than us cupping our hands around that smoldering wick to keep it alight. Actually, God's intention is to relight our fires this morning. Okay. Father God, I pray that as um, I preach, God, that it's not my words, God, I pray that it's your words. God, I pray that you give us as a church soft hearts. God, I thank you that your word is powerful. So, Lord, we want to sit under the authority of your scripture today, Lord, to hear what you have to say to us. Amen. So, by all rights, a sermon about resting properly should actually be extremely boring. Um, I'm not making comments on the last two preachers. They were very exciting. Um, and, you know, we could just have a nap today. It's, it's undoubtedly tempting. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, so really believe me when I say I'd rather be sleeping than preaching at this point. Um, but actually, when I prepared to preach today, there was something in me that just couldn't sleep. The call of the gospel is a call to come and die. It's a call to reckless abandon, to losing our lives, to gain life, to abandoning the perishable in order to receive the imperishable. Does that sound like a call to sleep? And yet we worship the same God who instituted the Sabbath for our benefit, the very same God who napped in the storm. So the question today is, what are we missing? Today I want to tell you about a rest that is radical, better than the rest that you're getting now, more refreshing than waking up late, more invigorating than climbing a mountain, and more satisfying than a lazy Sunday lunch. In short, I want to tell you about rest, refilling for radicals. C.S. Lewis said it this way, He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I want to tell you today that far from being too concerned about refilling, you are nowhere near passionate enough. That's right. If you're a stressed out commuter, a frazzled full-time mum, you're busy taking exams, you are far too lukewarm about refilling yourself. If you're worn down and tired out, then today Jesus has a call to you to come and die a call to refilling for radicals. But first, we need to talk about the world right now. We don't live in a rested society. People are commuting further in fuller trains to work longer hours for less pay. Our bills 
and our debts are higher than ever. Our young people are under more pressure than ever to grow up and to measure up. We are assaulted with unachievable images of perfect bodies and perfect lives. We seem to be inescapably drowning in a divided society of 24-hour news and 24-hour social media. Even though we live in what should be a golden age of humanity, we're not happy. Stress and mental illness are epidemic. As a nation, we are running on empty. We're living in a burnt-out society. What does the gospel have to say? John? I could tell by the way that you didn't laugh that the slide hadn't changed. I have to commute on Southern every day. Um, and it's nearly as bad as that? Nearly. Um, when the trains run, of course. So, <laughs> what does the gospel have to say to people like us? Can we ever be refilled? Let's listen to Psalm 69. It's not going to come up. But as we listen, pay attention to where it mirrors your own experience. Save me, O oh God. For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me. I am forced to restore what I did not steal. You, God, you know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. Lord, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. God of Israel, may those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I am a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my mother's children. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me, and I am the song of the drunkards. But I pray to you, Lord, in the time of your favor, in your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation." Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me from deep waters. Do not let the flood waters engulf me or the depths swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, Lord, out of the goodness of your love. In your great mercy, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. Come near and rescue me. Deliver me because of my foes. You know how I am scorned, disgraced, and shamed. All my enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. But as for me, afflicted and in pain, may your salvation, God, protect me. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him in thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and hooves. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in them. I wonder if you can relate. 
Probably not to all of it. David is broken, distressed, lonely, exhausted, and hopeless. So how does he end the psalm saying, the poor will see and be glad? You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. The answer has to be something more radical than a walk in the countryside. This is a question which echoes throughout Scripture and also throughout our lives. So Paul says in 2 Timothy that he's been in prison, flogged, exposed to death, constantly in danger, always toiling, sleepless, hungry, thirsty, cold, and naked. I wonder what he would have thought about our complaints, too much Facebook. Now, I don't really mean to say that the things that we have, our modern problems, aren't important. Just that if Paul had a secret then it's a secret that I want. How did he manage to get to the end of a life and still look back with satisfaction? How could it be that he could possibly agree with David and say, the poor will see and be glad? You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Let heaven and earth praise him. If you are bruised, and battered by life, then Paul proves that God has something special for you. But I know that you know that if you have been bruised and battered by life, that it has to be, the answer has to be something more radical than taking a long bath. How is it that when Peter and the apostles were dragged in front of the religious courts and flogged, that they could leave rejoicing? How are they not as cowed and burned out as we are? Pay attention to this, because it's not as if um, Peter and the apostles experienced just some bad luck. They were constantly under attack by men with evil intention until all but John were made martyrs. How can it be that they endured and even enjoyed a life like that? How is it that they could agree with David and say, the poor will see and be glad? You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Let heaven and earth praise him. If you have suffered injustice, then Peter and the apostles prove that God has something special for you. But if you have suffered injustice, then I know that you know that the answer has to be something more radical than a good meal. Why didn't Jesus get overwhelmed by the crowds? I complain about commuting, but people loved Jesus so much they were constantly surrounding him. He was being dragged around, shouted, and touched at. How could he transcend those demands? I know that you know in your hearts that the answer has to be something radical. We know that there is something wrong with the way that we are refilling ourselves. Perhaps we are settling for something less than Paul, less than Peter and the apostles, and less than Jesus himself. But what is the secret? This is the central question of this sermon. What did they have that we do not? When David was empty, his refilling wasn't lukewarm. It was radical. This verse, you who seek God... May your hearts live is the answer. It's about looking in the right place for our refilling. 
It's about refusing to settle for rest that isn't really restful. It's about being fed up with mud pies and finally going on that beach holiday. It's about pursuing a radical refilling. We're getting something wrong, but how can it be? One of the main reasons I think that we're getting it so wrong is that we just accept whatever the world says to us about refilling. Not just the world, really, but actually our own flesh. We listen to the cravings of our flesh. But the problem is that the world and the flesh are not looking out for our best interests. They offer us cheap thrills, quick fixes, and earthly solutions. There are so many solutions on offer. Binge watch TV. Go on a digital fast, drink more wine, go teetotal, go on holiday, spend more time with the family, spend less time with the family, take up yoga, join a fight club, get married, get divorced, go on a decox, take drugs, take up medication, go get a better job, go to work, quit your job, declutter, retail therapy, get up early, get up late, go to gym, cook more food, have a cheat day. Ah! Are you relaxed yet? I'm not. Look, I'll be honest when I say that I have done some of the things on that list, and some of the things on that list are not even all that bad, but do they sound radical? To you? Do any of those sound like they're enough to solve our problem? We're being lied to. They can't be enough, and we need something more. We need something radical. Perhaps there is still a bit of you that still wants to settle for the mud pies, because there is still a bit of me that does. But the problem is that we can't. It's not enough. It doesn't work. Let's read Jeremiah 2. I'm going to paraphrase it. I probably wouldn't flick to it. If I were you, you'll never follow. <laughs> this is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now why go to Egypt to drink water from the Nile? And why go to Assyria to drink water from the Euphrates? But I say, you said, it's no use. I love foreign gods. I must go after them. That last phrase, that catches in my throat. It's no use. I love foreign gods and I must go after them. How often have I said something like that about refilling? I can't possibly rest in God today. I'm too tired. I don't want to read the Bible. I want to watch YouTube videos. I don't want to worship. I want a glass of wine. I can't spend time with my family. I'm just too tired. All these things, it's no use. I must go after them. I love them too much, just like the people of Israel were. Is that you? It's definitely me. Those are not coincidental examples. They're real ones. Look, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to say you have to spend all of your free time in prayer meetings, singing songs to God in worship, and doing relaxing nature-based craft. That's just one more unattainable standard, isn't it? But let's not let ourselves off as easily. Never forget, today's sermon is a call to come and die, a call to something better, a call to give up the mud pies. So Jeremiah calls them broken cisterns rather than mud pies, but the meaning is the same. A cistern is just a basin for holding water, a trough. Jeremiah's point is that cisterns are fine for cattle, but no good for spiritual life. Instead, God says that we need springs of living water 
flowing inside of us. The problem with cisterns are twofold. So first, our refreshment, God's living water, is meant to be ever-flowing. Cisterns are static and stagnant. We aren't meant to be spiritual camels going miles from miles from drink to drink, but instead we're meant to be like deers panting for the fresh water. Our second problem is that our cisterns aren't even up to scratch. The earthly things we try to find our refreshment in are never strong enough to hold water. They're broken as soon as we make them. Perhaps your cistern isn't very leaky right now. Um, perhaps you're getting by on lions or cups of coffee or the occasional day trip. But I promise you that one day those things will wear out for you as they have for me. The lions need to be longer and longer. The cups of coffee get bigger and bigger. I have a cup of coffee that can fit a whole wine bottle full of coffee or wine if the need strikes. <laughs> the day trips get further and further apart, right? Nothing in this earth is any different. That's the problem. Even the good things that God's given us are not enough. Even our family. We need something more radical. So interestingly, Jesus talks about exactly this to a woman at the well in John 4. She seems to be doing something pretty standard, right? So she's just getting a drink of water on a hot day. But hear this, Jesus says no. Don't skip past that. Is water evil? Is the conclusion that drinking water is unspiritual? Did that woman walk away and never drink water ever again? I don't think so. But apparently, water was not the refilling that Jesus had in mind for her. Instead, Jesus says this, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But everyone who drinks the water I give him will never be thirsty again. For my gift will become a spring in the man himself, welling up into eternal life. So I know that you understand that Jesus isn't telling you to give up water today. And I'm not telling you to give up your family. But Jesus does gently rebuke the woman for having her sight set too low in the wrong place. For settling. He says, if you knew what God can give, and if you knew who it is that says to you, give me a drink, I think you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Isn't that kind of where we find ourselves? We're sort of messing around with all these quick fix ways to refill ourselves, always drinking, never satisfied, when the source of refilling is standing right in front of us. Why are we so lukewarm? Why have we settled? We need to choose something radical, more radical than water from a cistern or a well. That's the call to come and die. We need to repent of our broken cisterns. Just think for a minute. I think you know if you have a broken cistern in your life. It's that one thing that just came to mind that you really are trying to push out right now because I'm talking about it. You know what your reflex action is when you're stressed. You know if you're leaning too hard on drinking or using smoking as a crutch or if you're constantly plugged into the TV or the internet or YouTube. 
Let's be real with ourselves today, right? We need to make a choice. Do we carry on drinking out of broken cisterns, always drinking, always thirsty? Or do we want streams of living water? Don't answer too hastily. Because Jesus doesn't pour streams of living water into broken cisterns. We can't have both. So this is a call. The call to real, radical refilling. It's a call to come and die. Look, the biggest temptation for me when I was writing this sermon was to move on from this point as quickly as possible. Because if I did that, that would mean that I could keep, I could keep my own idols but I could watch a few more YouTube videos, I could drink another glass of wine, I could stay up a little bit later every night. But what if the cost of real, radical, true refilling was for me to stop watching TV until I'm no longer trying to drink from that broken cistern? What if I had to spend less money on comfort food? There's part of me that desperately wants to move on with this, but I promise you, it's better to listen to the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit this morning. God is speaking to you, not because he wants to take away from your life, but to truly add to it. Remember the picture of the smoldering wick. God is not intending to snuff us out this morning. Instead, he intends to set us on fire with a flame that is greater than we could ever expect. And perhaps that, most of all, is why this is a call to be radical. Do you really believe that God wants to add true refreshment to your life today? Whatever broken cistern is lurking in your mind, do you really think that the living trust, that the, wa- the living water of Jesus Christ is more refreshing? I think it's make our mind up time, right? I want to tell you today that you can trust God the way that Paul trusted God. Like Peter and the apostles, like Jesus, and he will be your rest. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Let heaven and earth praise him. That is the promise. It's not an idle one. God is always trustworthy, always fulfills his promises. So when God says that he has promised us rest to be your stream of living water, then you can know that it will be that way. The only question today is, are we ready to receive it? Will we be brave and stand up from our mud pies in the slum and finally take that beach holiday? Will we be brave enough to smash the broken cisterns and go back to the God that is the source of all rest and peace? Are we really ready to be refilled? If we're ready, then it's time to be radical with the choices that we're making. I'd like to share with you this morning some of the promises that God has made to you. Whoever drinks the water I give him will never be thirsty again. For my gift will be a spring in the man himself, welling up into eternal life. That's in John 4. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord 
will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That's in Isaiah 40. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says that in Matthew 11. Doesn't that put our broken cisterns to shame? Isn't that worth fighting for? Isn't that worth the call to come and die? What I want you to do more than anything is to see that the promises, these promises, the promises of living water, are not a matter of goodness or badness, not a matter of works or deserving, but instead a matter of the grace and the goodness of God. These promises are a matter of who you are in Christ. Not what we've done, but what he's done. We spend our whole lives chasing after things we can do to refill ourselves, but the whole time the solution was to stop trying to work our way into rest and instead start resting on the promises of God moment by moment. Let me read you another one. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. That's in Psalm 36. Do you want to be refreshed? Come to the fountain of life. Are you battered and bruised? Take shelter in the shadow of God's wings. Are you hungry? Come and feast in the abundant house of the Lord. Are you thirsty? Come and drink from God's river of delights. You have the invitation. That's God's invitation to you. Those scriptures are God's invitation to you today. His call, their irrevocable promises. He's not going back on them. Those promises are gospel promises. That's the truth. Made to you if you follow Jesus. There's no work left to do because Christ has done it all on the cross. He endured the absence of rest so that we who deserve no rest could enter into his rest. Surely that is worth giving up our broken cisterns for. Surely that is worth the call to come and die. The gospel is a call to be radical in everywhere, every area of our lives. So let's stop settling for lukewarm rest. That's the call to refilling for radicals. One last thing. Nearly done. What do we do on Monday morning? We need to make it easy on ourselves to do the right thing. But we also need to start in the right place. If you are in need of rest, then the first place to start is to build your rested life. The first place to start building your rested life has to be on the promises of God. If we don't do that, then we risk building off kilter, and that kind of building never lasts. It's all too easy to build habits and patterns into our life that are meant to be beneficial but turn into millstones. Real, radical refilling can only come from the living water of Jesus Christ welling up inside of us. Perhaps that means that we need to take some time out from our current routine in order to immerse ourselves in the truth that we need. You know, if that sounds like a sacrifice, it may be. But if we truly want to be refreshed, then we need to make a clean break from our broken cisterns. 
Look, now we're on the edge of this life. Let's not turn back. Remember, we need this. It's worth it. You know, memorize God's promises of rest and refilling. You know, John 4, Isaiah 40. Shouldn't have improvised that. It is Matthew 11 and Psalm 36. Pray those promises into your life moment by moment. Practice stillness before God and make this an issue of accountability with someone that you trust. Why not just test God for one week? I've been trying, not perfectly, but I have been trying. And I'll tell you one thing I found more than anything was that I didn't really need those broken cisterns. It's truly liberating to realize that you are free to be free from those old idols. We don't need them. We need living water. We also, okay, we need to make it harder to do the wrong thing. Maybe this is the hardest part because, again, it means sacrifice. Perhaps it means getting off the bus one stop later so you're not walking past the shop where you buy your beer every day. Maybe that means setting the internet to stop working after a certain time in the night. Maybe it means leaving junk food off the shopping list or putting a password on the Netflix account. Whatever it is, let's take ourselves off the path of temptation. If you've been following along with me, then you might have an idea in your heart right now about what you need to do today to receive God's radical refilling. And the easiest thing in the world to do is to put it off until tomorrow. It's so tempting not to tell anyone. But I hope that you will join with me today in resisting and rejecting the temptation to stay in darkness. Commit right now and tell someone, as soon as you can, share your burdens with one another. That's what James says. And part of that is confessing our failings and allowing our church family to help us to heal. Finally, What do we do when we go back to our broken cisterns? I want you to know that giving up on broken cisterns is not easy. If we choose to be radical, then we're choosing to reject perhaps years of bad habits in order to follow Jesus. But we can't give up when we mess up. What is the power of the gospel if it's not the power to overcome our weaknesses and our failures? Pursuing true refilling is not a matter of being perfect, but it's a matter about pursuing a grace-filled life, a grace-centered life, today and every day. Not just until we mess up, but especially when we mess up. So on Monday morning, you must be prepared to fail at this again and again, but you must be more prepared to receive the grace and mercy of God when you do, There's no use hearing a call to come and die and trying to do it by ourselves because we don't have it in us, but God has it in him. Truly dying to ourselves means dying to our own self-righteousness, our own self-determination and self-motivation. Radical refilling requires the same thing. So that's it really. That's the call to come and die. That's the call to refilling for radicals. Today is our opportunity to start afresh with being refreshed. It's our chance to swap the mud pies for the beach holiday, the broken cistern for the streams of living water. It's our chance today to say 
with David, with Peter, with Paul and Jesus himself, the poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Let heaven and earth praise him. And that is my prayer for you as we go back to worship today. It's this. You who seek God, may your hearts live. Amen.